Everything Sequel is brought to you by Slater's 5050. It's burgers, Jim, but not as we know it. Jim. Jim! The Everything Sequel podcast contains explicit language. Because we learned it from you, Dad. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. With me is Tom Stewart from Lonesome Whistle Productions. Tom, we're talking about Back to the Future 3 today. You, you excited? Why do we cut things so close? <laughs> so... Let's talk about Back to the Future 3. This is 1990. Again, Robert Zemeckis. Uh, this movie was made uh, or shot uh, along with uh, consecutively. In fact, they shot one portion for uh, this movie uh, that they were shooting during uh, Back to the Future 2 mm-hmm. with Jennifer on the porch. Evidently. Um, yeah, but everything else they shot, uh, you know, they shot them back to back. Um, this was one of my first memories of movie of a movie doing that. Uh, in my research, though, Richard Lester rears his ugly head again. Apparently, he did this with uh, three Musketeer movies in the seventies. Interesting, and yeah. this, and Superman too. The the first two Superman movies. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So it's yeah, they're definitely precedent for doing it. Definitely works the the movie's advantage. Uh, the, for to sure. See, to watch them both together because they they put references to they feel really connected to either film uh in there and so you do feel like they're actually connected organically let me ask you this though because the one thing we didn't talk about for back to the future 2 was all the things that were going to come up in back to the future 3 they often felt just sort of rammed in there mm-hmm. you know to make sure that the audience i mean it just feels a little um inelegant i guess uh, that i that's probably true I, i'm just grateful that they got it right um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know you don't want to you don't want to oversell i guess they learned that lesson at the end of the first movie it's like you don't want to oversell what you're gonna potentially do next if you don't right. know where it's gonna be you know you don't really know where it's going i mean that's the the halloween movies in a nutshell there you, you go. can you can overpromise. So I just see it as a kind of like it is it is very much kind of uh, taking care of business. Um, but uh, <laughs> the, I think I think there there's one there's one storyline that is um, unusually you can't understand it without seeing both movies, which is the needles subplot. Yeah. And when they're talking about needles, you're like, who the fuck is needles? <laughs> There was no needles in the first movie. Um, right. And this really is. It's like you have to wait to the end of the third movie to get the payoff on that. To get the um, whole needles subplot. Yeah. And it doesn't help that it's flea from the red flea. on chili peppers. And you're like, well, that's just very confusing. <laughs> um, you saw, a calling, they're calling flea needles. And I don't even know who this guy is supposed to be in the storyline. So there's there's a couple of subtle things where where they're sort of like playing the long game, the slow burn. But yeah, a lot of the other time you're like Old West. Why are we talking about right. the Old West? 
there's all i mean it's it's crazy though like these these films were so close together that they actually have six uh, months apart yeah a preview of this movie at the end of the second movie correct that uh, has major spoilers in it i guess people didn't care back then but there are like right. you see the end of the third movie at the end of the second movie yeah which has got to be a, a mistake <laughs> Well, uh, you know, it was a choice. What, what, what can I say? They wanted that shot um, of Marty and Jennifer on the porch at the expense of all audience anticipation. Correct. Which is which is uh, a, a bad. At the expense of all common sense. Yeah. So you know, it's it's you you kind of know where this movie's going before before you you know um, before it's even started. Well, like the uh, for, uh, rather like the uh, the second movie, this movie had a forty million dollar budget. Uh, not quite as well, eighty eight million in the USA, two hundred forty nine in the world. So it's still making a ton of mo- money. But I feel like this movie is considered, um, you know, sort of the redheaded stepchild of these three movies. And I would like to state uh, completely and totally, I love this movie. I said that this was, uh, in, in my rankings, I said this is the, you know, number one. Number three is number one, and number two is number two. Um, you inexplicably <laughs> say that uh, the second movie is a bad movie, and yet this is a good movie, yeah. and rank the second above the third. That's correct. Ugh, well, God. no, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but, um, you see, I felt the same way you did for a long time. I felt uh-huh. that this movie got a lot of unfair flack, and I don't e- I don't even know what the criticisms are of the movie, but um, I'm sure they're not the same ones that I have. I just I felt I think watching it most recently, I really started to notice how off the pace of this movie is, and I think that's mm. a big problem. I think I think the action scenes go on too long. I think the romantic subplot is a is a big misstep, and I just oh th- I love it. I think it's so charming. I love Mary I, Steenburgen. And I think there's I, well there's an in, there's an indulgence about it that you don't that you don't get certainly in the in the second movie and not really in the first. Um, you know, it's it's we lose a lot of that pace that drives the second movie, which is actually one of the great things about it. Um, yeah, but I think they're making a different movie. And they're not making a parody of a Western. They're making... Oh, they are. Why would you have Lyle from Blazing Saddles in a movie if you're not making a Western parody? (laughs) I think they're just trying to make an honest Western, fish out of water, completely out of water kind of a story. And uh, I I, I, got to tell you, I find this movie to be so charming. And uh, you know, I, I'm I, I like the idea of uh, of shifting the focus to Doc Brown, which was a very deliberate choice. I mean, he you know, he, right? He, it, the movie is kind of filtered through his perspective more than than the previous movies have been. Uh, yeah. But you 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 kind of you lose a lot of Marty, which is a real problem. I wonder I wonder, given what happened with Michael J. Fox's career afterwards, whether they would have made the same decision because he's on the sidelines for a lot of this movie. I feel. I don't think you're wrong about that, but it doesn't bother me. Mm. Um, they still continue the subplot, which, by the way, we didn't really give mention to 
the thing that this movie does well that I don't think the second movie did well is this idea of Marty refusing to be called chicken. Well, this is, uh, but this is the needle. You know, it, it's based on some. You know, it's all to in order to understand it, you have to have seen to the end of the third movie. It's like we're, right. it's like we're watching Hill Street Blues or The Sopranos or something. It's like yeah, right. You can't just it, this needle storyline is like it's buried in there, deep. Yeah, and and you know that. But the, it comes across the, so much better in this movie. In the second movie. It's so overwrought of like nobody, nobody calls me chicken. Which they changed to yellow, um, yeah. And they get into the old west, which I always wondered whether Big Chicken, like, intervened and says you can't be, you can't be disparaging <laughs> chickens in a big budget Hollywood movie. They might do that today. I doubt they did it in 1990. <laughs> the the colonel, uh, was, you know, the colonel visited the set and it's like you got to stop said, Knock this shit off. <laughs> He said, knock this shit off. Um, yeah, and it's... I, I think that is it is a genuine, if somewhat um, awkward attempt to have a story that goes across these movies. Like, mm-hmm. like, a, like you know, like a flexi narrative American Well, TV the problem thing. was that they didn't really have a genuine flaw for Marty in the first movie, so they had to invent one for the second and third movies. I guess so. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. Is he not tragic enough? He tried to sleep with his mother, or his mother tried to sleep with him. I mean, isn't he yeah, enough of a se- Greek hero? Several yet? times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think he's got uh, enough going on in that first movie, between in- inventing rock and roll for the black people. Um, yeah. <laughs> How um, many years ahead did he? Uh, Make Johnny be good. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I yeah. think I think he's I think he's got enough of an arc without this. Um, he he should be apologizing is what he should be doing. Yeah, but uh, I, but and so I, I I I found it lagging in a way that I think this time around I was watching it I was I was grateful for how frenetically paced the second movie is and I think this movie could have done with a lot more of that for it to be a satisfying viewing experience. Um, I just feel like right from the beginning, it just feels slower and more leaden. Like, see, I think it's slower, but purposefully, it doesn't doesn't feel leaden to me at all. It's it feels pastoral because yeah. we're in the old west, and I, and I just accept it as as that. I mean, I, I I have agreed with that in the past. I think probably, and I may agree with that again. But right now, watching these <laughs> watching these two movies back to back, that's the main feeling I got that. That, but, that, but right now I disagree completely. That the the dark <laughs> that um, you know, I, I Christopher Lloyd should you know it, it deserves his own movie, and you know I just feel like it, it peaks too early. Like he nails that that first scene is the best thing he does oh, in any. It's movie. It's so good in 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 his whole acting career. It's you know it's like he, he's never going to be as good Kramer. as when he it's goes everything. into the bathroom. Yeah. Uh, He's never going to be as good as he is when he slams that door in the bathroom and says he refuses to believe he is here. It's so fantastic. Like, I have to rewind it five yeah. times every time I watch that movie. And he's leaning on the, you know, he's leaning on the organ and making those sound effect noises. I think, you know, I, I just, so I, I'm told, you know, I don't have a problem with him being shifted to the center of the movie. I think it was the right move. I just think the way that, that they 
the way that they do it, um, I, I think these these movies need to be like on top of the bubble in terms of pace, and this one is like always behind for me. For now, <laughs> you <laughs> until, might change until your mind I find next it week. Charmingly, charmingly, yeah. uh, leisurely. Crying out loud, but Jesus! I just, I kind of, yeah. I just thought, you know, and uh, it weight, it kind of weighed down. The action is weighed down by not being tight enough, and there's a lot of a lot of action in this movie. And, uh, um, but I, I mean, I, I love, I love the fact it's a western. I think that was a really good place to go. You know, like the older mm-hmm. past, bringing in Hollywood westerns. I think it's a great idea. It's just. You know, it's 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 not half an hour more of a good idea, <laughs> <laughs> especially when you know, like the movie, so it's showing that it's been done a few different times this way before. Blazing Saddles, uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. You know, we've kind of seen these ideas before. So, what's the big whoop? I still disagree <laughs> that uh, comparing it to Once Upon a Time in the West or or. Uh... You know, a blazing saddles. I, I I find them to be. It's certainly not parody on that level, as blazing saddles. And I just like this. What really came through? It's really weird because I saw this in the movie theater when I was a child, and mm-hmm. I was in an audience full of children, and I was a child. Um, <laughs> I'm glad we got that straight. Just to out. clear that up. Um, <laughs> And uh, I remember, you know, when the, that great moment when um, Mad Dog Tannins, uh, when the manure falls out of his mouth. And I remember, like, I, I can still hear the kids in the audience going, ew, like that. And I was just <laughs> struck by how many moments like that there are in this movie where people standing in poop, uh, piss, you know, like, it, it's it, this kind of like toilet humor thing. And this kind of. You know, almost kind of Jar Jar Binks style. They try. It, it feels like, and this is another thing that, that a lot of late sequels do. They're trying to appeal more to the family market than perhaps the previous two movies have. Yeah, well, certainly the second movie is far darker in tone than, and and this is probably the lightest movie of the three although we do have a lynching which it doesn't go down well in today's loaded climate that's true <laughs> that's true but um but i yeah i just found you know that it, it was it was uh and you you know we've talked about this before and one of the reasons i love the original back to the future is because you know it's a movie driven by incest and white supremacy you know these really like it's there's some dark shit going yeah. on. In that movie. <laughs> yeah, and the se- and the second movie really doubles down on that. I think. Yeah, and yeah. this one to me sort of feels like you know what happened to a lot of filmmakers like Zemeckis and Spielberg, and it's like you know they have they have kids, and suddenly they want to make start making movies that are really inoffensive. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I see that also with actors. Actors making choices to make movies that are more kid centric. Mm. Um, I can't think of a good example right now where I where I thought to myself, oh, that kind of pisses me off. Just go make a good movie. Steve Martin, but I, Harrison Ford. I mean, you know. Yeah, it happens. It does. But and you're not wrong about some of the humor, but I also think they also rely on um, some really great, you know, humor uh, based on 
this sort of old west idea. I, I love I one of my favorite moments in this movie is when Marty says, "Lighten up, jerk." And Tannen looks over at his buddies who all just kind of shrug. Yeah. And he, and he looks back over, "Mighty strong words, run." You know. <laughs> yeah, no, it it, it even uh, though he clearly didn't it, understand you know, a single thing he said. What they thought the old west was in the 1950s versus what, you know, someone from the Yeah, yeah, that too, right. Clint Eastwood what idiot dressed you up in that outfit? Yeah, he, he, you the did. Moonwalking, well, you know, making him dance, and he moonwalks. I think that's. I, I think so, you know that that all still works, and that's a new tried and tested formula that they've been peddling from the start. That kind of anachronism yeah. comedy, it's great. It works really well. They actually the asked uh, permission to use Clint Eastwood's name. They asked Clint, and he gave permission, and was apparently very tickled. Yeah. That uh, that he's in this movie, and a little other little known fact. When he's doing the breakdancing, yes. the sounds of those breakdancing are made by Michael Winslow. Of course. <laughs> For those that the don't last know. The job he ever had. Right. For those that don't know, you should know that Michael Winslow was the character in the Police Academy movies who made all the funny sounds. So, And it's, it's interesting to me, like, uh, this, is, this is 1990, right? This Correct. The release date is 1990. And they're... they're so what's kind of cool about this movie too is that that we we're in another like the, this trilogy spans two decades, um, right? And it's kind of I, yeah, that's just math at the moment. But I'm going somewhere with this. Um, that <laughs> it you know we go from Huey Lewis and the News to ZZ Top in terms yeah, of like the yeah. musical guest of the movie. So we actually get to see history happen. Like things move on and change, and it's so fascinating to me that when they go back to 1985 at the end of the movie, that is now the past. Right. Yeah. They're now in the 90s, and I don't. So there's something I don't know. There's something, and maybe it is just like you know, an illusion, but there is something about this movie, even though the previous film was made a year earlier, it just feels more like a 90s movie to me. I don't know if there's a, a new technology that, that came in on the cusp of the decade that makes everything look and feel different, but I would never mistake this movie for any other decade. And I wouldn't necessarily... And, you know, Back to the Future, the previous two movies are, are definitely 80s movies. It just feels... Yeah. And in the family-friendly tone is a big part of it, but um, the music and just where everyone is in the frame seems like it could only come from the early 90s. You know, it's like That's interesting. it's like we start and we're you know the, the the first film Back to the Future is like the Breakfast Club, and Back to the Future Three is Honey I Shrunk the Kids. You know? No, how dare you? <laughs> no, I mean it, it, it's it's something something different something. <laughs> I understand what you're saying, but I still say you should go fuck yourself, <laughs> I, ladies hey, and gentlemen. Hey, that's not an insult coming from me. Um, I'll happily watch you know kids being eaten out of Cheerios. Oh my god. All right, we're going to have a little bit more for Back to the Future 3, and then we're going to pitch our sequels right after this. Stay tuned, please. Look, people, we're living in strange times. We know that, don't we? Of course we do. People don't even know what to do with themselves. We're getting stir-crazy. 
Well, get outside and get yourself some great food, I say. You need to go to Slater's 5050 and Point Loma's Liberty Station. It's time to treat yourself to booze, to beer, to burgers, and more. They have their full menu, people. Their full menu, I say. How many restaurants do you know that are doing that? Most places are doing a quarter of their menu, probably. Some might be doing a half. Maybe a few have got three quarters of a menu. But Slater's 5050 has their full menu, including their signature 5050 patty. It's half ground beef. It's half ground bacon. It's 100% delicious. What more can you possibly ask? Worried about social distancing? Well, it is in place, people. Tables are separated, and the staff will always be seen wearing masks. You're out of excuses. Get off your keister and come on down to Liberty Station's own Slater's 5050. Indoor dining available. Outdoor dining available. Bring the family. Bring your dog. Come enjoy the normal again. Good day to you. I said good day. And we're back. We're here talking about Back to the Future 3. Uh, Tom and I are having civil disagreements, I would say, um, on the value and uh, the, the, the self-worth of Back to the Future 3. Uh, so, Tom, you're saying that this movie is a good movie, but worse than Back to the Future 2. We've talked about the idea of um, sort of the kid 90s movie um, aspect of the movie. Um, what do you think is the thing that is really holding this movie back? Because for me, I mean, I love everything about this movie except like the last four minutes. I, I despise the last four minutes. I, I agree with that completely. I think the, the, the okay. last four minutes of this movie are um, probably the worst thing in the series. I mean, you know, nobody asked for the time train. No, yeah. Nobody wanted it. I mean, it is... It, we've already talked about Jar Jar Binks. It's like Jar Jar Binks on wheels. Right. Basically. <laughs> it's al- it's almost as unwieldy as a special effect as well. Right. Um. Yeah, I mean... And you know I what's funny the... to me about the, the train ending is that clearly they wanted to just sort of call back to the great ending of the first movie. Right, and right. they wanted a, they wanted a reunion between the two yeah. lead characters. And I think which, again, I understand. I understand that you need to do that. I don't think you um, do though. Like to me, oh, yeah, no, you don't. You're right. To me, right, but... what they should have done is a call back to the second movie, and I want another Western Union guy there with a note and the picture of them in front of the clock. And it's a sadder goodbye because they don't get to see each other. But based on the choices they made during the, you know, this last movie, um, that's the ending that they should have had and deserved. And I think it would have made it a better, you know, a better ending. It, it, it would have been, um, I would have gotten choked up of, of Marty. Yeah, it, def- it definitely fits the melancholy mood of this movie more. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't care about it in terms of tone. I just think... I just think that train looks fucking ugly. <laughs> we go from like the you know the perfect marriage of of you know period design with you know science fiction, sure. which is the DeLorean, to um, you know 
Thomas the Time Engine. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's it's just it's just. I I mean I I just I hate it and you know one kid's called Jules the other one's called Vern, Vern. yeah I mean again something that would have and been great as like is... a you know five minute uh, Verizon commercial for the Super Bowl yeah exactly I mean it does it looks <laughs> like a commercial that's what it looks like and uh, and and it's very it's very very I mean it's like it's absolute sap you know because not only do they have this ugly train that doesn't make sense. Um, they changed the whole concept of time travel with like one line of dialogue. Right, yeah. He says, your future is what you make it. So make now, it a that good is, one. If we've learned one thing right. from these movies, that is that not is what not, time is. That, is yeah, that is not at all what will happen, you know? Um uh, it infuriates me every time I see it. And then you have to have the final scene with needles. I, I, I mean, I like that just because um, I'm like, okay, so they thought about it. and um, Marty's grown. It's weird how, like, I don't, they don't, well, I mean, there's this kind of good and bad and ugly in terms of, <laughs> um, in terms of like how they, it's it's hilarious when about halfway through the movie, Marty suddenly remembers he left his life partner on a porch in the eighties in some kind of time hellscape. Vortex. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, and and I feel like that's almost like the screenwriters going, "Shit, we forgot to talk about this." Right. Um, but you know, this is at least a payoff as like, oh, you know, uh, that's who Needles is, and that's why he's important. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's um, it's it's disappointing. It's a very it's very disappointing, and it it, it makes me think, you know, well, especially after the, biggest... the whole spectacular. I think the whole train sequence is fantastic. Yeah, great. I mean, it's just great. Yeah, it's pure irony. It's great. Yeah, you everything know, it's, about it's it. Like it, it's like we just got away from one train, and now a train's gonna hit the car. Yeah, <laughs> right. And they do that really well, you know, with the with the um, the drive-in movie picture of the Native Americans. Yeah, and then the turn into real Native Americans. Right. I think that's like it's it, that kind of moment. It just it's like pure Spielberg movie magic. Yeah, the shot of the DeLorean kind of coming over the hill, filled with you know bushes and cacti, with the the, the Native Americans bearing down on them. It's just you know it's fantastic. But that, I mean, this is a thing we're going to talk about again when we do other trilogies. It's like, do part threes automatically revert to their originals? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's, it feels to me like if you look at this movie, you feel it's like an irresistible force of that these movies have to become what they were at the beginning. Right. Well, you know um, what always interested me the most about Back to the Future Three when you take all three movies in their in their entirety. The one lingering thought that I remember having walking out of the theater in 1990 was, how the fuck does Marty go back to high school on Monday? Right. You know, like, after everything he's experienced, how does he go back to school? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, one problem being that he's 30 years old now <laughs> in real life. And and it's 1990. Yeah. But... Uh... <laughs> yeah, no, it's... it's um... Yeah, it, it it's it's also you know it shatters that uh, 
that nice little bubble that the movies have created, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's such a definitive statement to, to, to destroy the time machine in the way they did. Um, right, yeah. To then to sort of undo all that by having a... A train a, show a up. steam-powered time machine come back. It's like... That can fly. Oh, well, so he would have got out of the past anyway. So this whole movie is pointless. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it renders everything that happened <laughs> for naught. And yes. and the lessons that they tried to just, you know, learn over the space of three movies, you know, it was like, well, fuck it. <laughs> And and you know this this is like this is this is what they're working towards with the Clara um, Doc love story, and I think may, maybe if I'm being you know if I'm not if I, if I'm seem uh, if I seem to be cruel about that because oh you I, are I do like it as an idea because Mary Steenburgen be- is fantastic because... <laughs> she is a national okay. treasure and you are being a dick. <laughs> is because, I think I'm probably seeing it through this lens of like this is where I know the story's heading is to the time train when I don't want that to happen <laughs> I hear you so you know if like I just that day I probably am just wishful thinking that none of this you know this subplot never happened so we never had to be in this situation for it to happen um yeah, and you know, there's there's thousands of ways that they could have done it better. They could have brought his, you know, one his descendant who could have been played by Christopher Lloyd. Right. And then there's another gag there about everyone, you know, playing their own relatives. Right. Yeah. There's so many ways you could have done it. They there 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 were many 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 things, many different choices they could have made that yeah. didn't make you at the end of this movie go, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Yeah, it's um but to me it's like really the only misstep in the whole movie and and the second one has many many missteps for me. Um and that's mm-hmm. why I think this movie's better. I think this movie stands on its own, you know, we started this whole thing talking about accepting these movies as individual movies as opposed to looking uh at the originals or or the sequels that uh, precede it or follow it. Um and on it's on its own this movie tries to be something completely different than the other two movies, and I think it succeeds at that. Yeah, I, I think it definitely it succeeds in that aspect. I'll give you that. I don't have an issue with that. Um, I just, uh, yeah, I, I think, I, I think <laughs> it, the biggest problem for me is that, is that they want this. Uh, you're going to disagree with this. I can tell already. But they, I haven't even said anything. Most likely. In wanting this film to stand up as something other than a sequel for Back to the Future, they make it pale in comparison to other movies that do this kind of post-classical Hollywood Western um, revisionist thing. And that's why I'm bringing in movies like Once Upon a Time in the West and Blazing Saddles is because, like, that's the entire project of those movies. With this one, it's just a kind of passing thing. And I think if it's going to justify itself as something different from the movie, it has to offer something that's competitive with those kind of visions of the West. And it 
doesn't really do that to me. There are hints of it. There are hints of it in the margin. You know, there's some kind of satire of the racism of um, the old West and you know the anachronisms and things like that. Mm-hmm. But it it's it's very plastic, um, and I, I think it's it's a shame that it was trying to compete on those terms uh, rather than as a um, than you know as a as a time travel movie which i don't think it partly because there's not really much time travel in it yeah um <laughs> which you know we get they were into rocky five you know right. rocky five there's no fights um <laughs> just the street this brawl is a little bit like you know once we get to the west we're stuck there by um and uh i just think what they do there is not uh, it's not terribly fun. interesting. I guess. Fuck I mean, you. I guess it's it. Fun. I guess it is doing something distinctly different from what the previous movies. Did. It absolutely is. They have all kinds of. I. I just like the little jokes. Just the tiniest jokes in this movie make me laugh. Like, do you have a back door in this place? Yeah, it's in the back. In the back. Yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah. It's. There's a. Yeah. There is the the incidental characters are great. Um. But uh, yeah, I just there's something this time around. It just didn't do it for me. All right. And well, I'm gonna have. I you... I, appre- I guess I appreciated the second movie on an intellectual level the way I've never before. Uh, and this one, while well, I was settled down, I was ready to kind of enjoy it as a cozy, you know, Sunday afternoon, a bit of escapism. And I just I and for that re- you know for that kind of. For what is ostensibly an, an adventure movie, I found it very boring. Oh, not me. No, that's that's fine. Yeah. And and I and I used to, I used to be excited by this movie, and I'm sure I will be again. But it's just I'm gonna I'm gonna call on you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm gonna ask you if you've watched it again, and we'll see. Oh no, I, I'm gonna I I feel like I'm gonna regret everything. Um, that you've I said because it, it's but... so wrong. I understand. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it for Back to the Future 3. Let's move on to pitch a sequel. It's time to pitch a sequel. Tom, do you have a sequel in mind? I do. All right. Uh, The sequel is called Back for the Future. Um, You and your numbers. (laughs) And the the two has become a four. Not that the original two was a two, but I'm switching things. Would be if it was up to you. Let's be honest. The two, the two is a four, Um, and uh, so we pick up in the time honored tradition of these movies exactly where the last movie ended with the the uh, time train hurtling awkwardly through (laughs) space and time, (laughs) and and you know we we at the beginning of the film we're just accepting the fact that this thing cannot travel through time and space, okay. It's just going to break. So it breaks. Smashes. <laughs> breaks down, kills everybody, roll yeah. credits. It, well, we do We do an Aliens 3 and Clara, Jules, and Vern, they're gone. They're done. Uh, <laughs> eaten, eaten, by the, eaten by the time travel alien. Gone. Very and good, Doc, then. Doc Brown, you know, he, he, Doc Brown is in the only surviving uh, cabin of the train. And of course. when he wakes up, he's in, he's back. November is it November second? November twelfth, nineteen fifty-five. Yeah, November twelfth. November twelfth, nineteen fifty-five. He he and he he automatically resets that point, 
And that's when he's sort of like, he's like, I'm going to resolve one of the remaining plot threads <laughs> of this franchise, which is, is November 12th, 1955, the center of oh. time and space, or is it just a huge coincidence? <laughs> Fantastic. So, uh, yeah, that's the that's the basis of the movie. Is Marty uh, in it? Marty's not in it. Okay. Uh, so Doc Brown, Doc Brown finally gets his vehicle because there's no one else in the movie but him. Right. It's just him wandering around November 12th, 1955. Does he see his, trying... his old self? Yeah, it, it's sort of like, yeah, he, he's just, it's just him conducting an experiment into whether this is the nexus of, the, of time and space. All right. So it's, uh, it would actually, I'm looking to market it as more of an educational film. <laughs> uh, maybe show it in school. What grade? What grade? Um, weapons grade plutonium. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I myself went in a little bit of a different direction. No. You and I, yeah. You and I were talking. I, when I first thought about this idea of pitching a sequel, um, this is one series where I thought, no, no, fuck you. I'm just not doing it. I refuse. These are just, it's a, it's a just great, perfect, not perfect, but you know what I mean? It's like they, it, it, it just wraps up fine for me as it is yeah. the trilogy. That story's done. And, yes. uh, there's nothing more kind of annoying than a trilogy that wraps everything up and then a fourth movie appears. But if I have to pitch a sequel, and the other thing that's interesting to me about pitching a sequel is, you know, for a lot of these movies, you know, this movie was made in Back to the Future 3 was made in 1990. So, you know, you have to suppose, are you making this movie in 1991 or you make, you know. So I decided that I would uh, suppose that this movie uh, is being made in around the year 2015. So the actors right. are much older um, because... Fuck. Because they have this stupid time travel train that appears mm. at the end of this movie, uh, I decided that uh, Clara is sick. And Doc brings her and the kids back to try and save her. I was trying to think of a good reason that Doc would use time travel again. And this made right. the most sense to me. Meanwhile... But isn't isn't he fine with time travel now? Isn't that another way in which the ending completely usurps the meaning of the Usurps film? the whole the whole series, yes. He... He does appear to be fine with it as he went ahead and built a goddamn train. Um, meanwhile, we know that the actor, Michael J. Fox, has his own health issues. So I thought that that could come into play. And Doc decides he's now a mouse. No, but he's got he's, he's got the Parkinson's. No, I know. But I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the way that they've covered that in the past is by making him a cartoon mouse. That's true. So. I thought maybe you were going to make him a mouse. I was not going to make him a mouse. Uh, think more like uh, um, Rescue Me. Except he's, The Rescuers? He, well, he was on that show, and he was a total dick on that show. But, but imagine him not quite a dick. So what I imagined for Marty was that he was becoming successful as a musical artist and then turned to producing because of his condition. And then Doc decides, well, I'm going to go ahead and save my wife with modern medicine, maybe I could go into the future and help Marty and uh, get him back to his true love. Meanwhile, Biff has been able to put together uh, what happened to him in 1955, and uh, <laughs> he decides to to seek his revenge over the next 30, 
uh, to 60 <laughs> years in order to, uh, um, you know, really stick it to Marty and the Doc. And so Biff will reappear. Maybe there'll be some espionage. Maybe he'll make his own time machine, that kind of thing. I, I want I want to see that scene with Thomas F. Wilson and like a... Um... Uh, usual suspects Kaiser Soze <laughs> moment where he has he has all the information on a board and he's just piecing it all together as he looks around. He's just like it just goes like DeLorean, yeah, sexy almanac, and he just floats by. And it's... <laughs> he's drinking a cup of coffee out of an almanac mug. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and it's like the name the name of. Um... The name of Marty McFly's Japanese boss in the future. Oh yeah, I don't remember what his, was name. his name. I don't remember. We didn't talk about. It. I just want. Just said. I don't want to interrupt your pitch. Oh, the it's pitch is great. done. I want. I, I want everybody I to know. I see it more as a Bill and Ted, but yeah. okay. I don't have um, a lot of heart put into this <laughs> sequel idea, but. <laughs> but we didn't talk about the racism of these movies. Oh yeah. There's his Japanese boss from the future. There's when Marty returns to 1985 and uh, an African-American father shouting, Freeze, sucker! Yeah. The, um, oh, bad. Not good. Bad stuff. But anyway. And just the idea of, like, you know, uh, uh, it's now a terrible neighborhood So uh, because, of course, black people live there. So that's why that's it's... Exa- that's, I mean, it's just yeah, like, yeah. Oh, oh, fucking man, the 80s and the 90s, apparently. 1990 as well. And apparently everything up until this very year. Right. (laughs) It'll be fascinating to see how movies change. God damn it, I hope for the better. Um, All right, ladies and gentlemen, on that sour note, (laughs) (laughs) that does it for the Back to the Future series. Uh, Please let us know, uh, how do you rank these two movies? Which do you like better? Find uh, the Everything Sequel podcast on Facebook. Find us on Instagram. Find us on Twitter. Let us know what you think. Uh, That's it for the Back to the Future series. For Tom Stewart, my name is Michael Schantz. Tom, say goodbye. Another goodbye. Very good, then. We'll see you next time. We'll be talking about another couple of sequels. Stay tuned.